You are listening to episode 277 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Money! Money is a topic that you, the audience, request frequently, and I'm delivering. This week's guest is Allison Baggerly. Allison is a blogger, influencer, and founder of Inspired Budget. As a teacher and small business owner, Allison combined her passion for teaching and finances to help others learn how to start budgeting. Allison and her husband paid off over $100,011 of debt on two teacher salaries while growing their family. Since starting Inspired Budget in 2017, Allison has been able to retire as a teacher and take her desire to help others full-time. Now she's helping women all over the world get started with budgeting when they feel lost and overwhelmed. Before I hit you with all of this info, here's your little reminder that we've got podcast merchandise. You can now rep your favorite podcast, <clears throat> us, on signature t-shirts, long sleeve tees, tanks, hoodies, stickers, and mugs. All you have to do is visit the shop section on mindbizlife.com. And remember that when you receive your order, I want to see what you got. So DM me your photos or tag me in them at mindbizlife. While you're listening today, be sure to screenshot that you're listening Throw it on Instagram, tag me in it at MindBizLife, and I'll reshare it with the community. I also love knowing what resonates most with you from each episode. Learning and growing together is a truly beautiful thing. Okay, are you ready to meet Allison? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey, Allison. Welcome to the show. I'm stoked to have you join me today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Lauren. I appreciate it. You're a blogger, an influencer, and the founder of Inspired Budget, but previously you were a teacher. So tell us the story and how you made this life and career shift and what really triggered it. Mm -hmm. So I never thought I would leave teaching. Actually, no, that's a lie. <laughs> I, I was a teacher. And for years, I remember asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? Like something's, this feels right, but also not right. If that mm. makes any sense. Like I knew yeah. there was something different out there for me, but I didn't realize that until later on. Actually, my husband and I got married. We got pregnant surprisingly on our honeymoon. And whenever we came back from our honeymoon, you know, we were just two 20 somethings. I was 24 at the time. We realized we didn't have enough money to cover my son's daycare payments. Mm -hmm. We didn't have enough money coming in every single month. We're not, not coming in, but our money going out was hindering us from being able to have money to send him to daycare. And there was no way I could quit my job if we didn't even have $800 a month to pay for daycare. Right. So we sat down and we said, okay, something needs to change. And that was the first time my husband and I totaled up our debt. And we had over $111,000 worth of debt from student loans to car loans. And it was a huge wake up call for us. I remember sitting there at our kitchen table, feeling completely overwhelmed, almost like paralyzed. I felt like I was standing at the bottom of this mountain and I didn't know how to climb to the top and nauseous, but that could have been the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. 
And we just knew at that moment that things needed to change. And so we started with saying, okay, if we could get rid of some of these minimum debt payments and cut back on our spending and live on a budget, we can afford to send our son to daycare. So that's what we did. And we set this goal to become debt-free in five years on two teacher salaries. So, and we did it. We, we became debt-free. We paid off all of our loans other than our mortgage in four and a half years. And we also added another child to our family, which meant our daycare expenses doubled essentially. However, you know, we stayed the course and we, we knew there was something bigger. We were willing to sacrifice for a season of our life so that we could live in abundance for the rest of our life. Once we became debt-free, I, I honestly assumed I'd be done budgeting. I figured, okay, I I've hit my goal. I'm done. I don't need to budget anymore. But during that four and a half year long process, I, it became who I was. It became part of my identity. And I, I realized I had a passion for personal finances. So after we finished this journey, when I still had this feeling of, I want to keep talking about budgeting. I want to keep helping people. I want to keep discussing this. And my friends are all tired of me talking about it. <laughs> they don't want to hear it anymore. Um, I decided to go ahead and start inspired budget where I would help women who were almost in those same shoes. I was feeling down and alone and unsure and needing a little bit of guidance to help them learn how to write a budget, live on less so that they can pay off debt, build wealth, save money, take an annual vacation without guilt and just live a financial life they love. Oh, I love this story so much. And I love so many different layers of it too, because I think it's resilient that you and your husband as a young married couple were already committed to do this mm -hmm. because I think it's really tough for couples, especially when you're newly married to have these hard conversations, to sit down and just like face the facts of like, whew, this is our debt. Now, how do we tackle it? Do you find with some of your clients that they may be in a partnership or marriage where the other partner isn't on board with the budgeting all the time, all mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, a lot of that goes back to our, our money trauma. Many of us have money trauma growing up, whether you were grew up poor or middle-class or even wealthy, we have money trauma and we have these money beliefs. So, so often people see sitting down and talking about money as you did something wrong here are mm. some rules to put in place. You can't spend money. And it's easy to feel defensive and not want to get on board when that is the mindset that you're coming to the table with. So true. And so, you know, we, I, I work with women, I specifically work with women who do have spouses and they're like, I can't get my spouse on board. And I tell them, look, that's unfortunate. And hopefully they'll come around, but you don't need your husband on board to write a budget. You can still write a budget for what you are in control of for your spending. You can still set goals. You can still learn about money. Money. You can still make better choices. And a lot of times what I've seen happen when I'm working with women is that their husband starts noticing a change and they start saying, what? Like, this is, this is something that I can get on board with once they start seeing, okay, it's not this constraint. It's not a punishment. It's not a consequence. It is actually writing a budget and getting out of debt is a pathway that allows you to live the life you want to live. Oh, I love that. And you had touched on something earlier where you said you and your husband understood that there was a, a sacrifice for the season so that you could live mm -hmm. life in abundance. Now, this is a mindset shift in itself to, to recognize that. And you touched on like the, the traumas around money. How do you really identify your own mental blocks or money traumas? 
I think that first it just takes time to just think about it. Mm. So many of us don't even want to think about money because it's scary, because it's overwhelming, because we didn't learn how to talk about money with our parents. A lot of people's parents didn't talk to them about money, not because the parents were trying to hide information and not teach them. And the school system is so overwhelmed with everything else to teach. It's not like they were intending to withhold this valuable information, but sometimes our parents, they just, they don't know what they don't know. And whenever they didn't have access to internet, learning about managing money came down to a privilege. You had to have someone above you, someone in your life that was willing to teach you, or you had to know to go and read certain books, or you had to have access to certain education. So I think a lot of times our parents, I mean, I know many women who said, my parents never talked to me about money. And it, it's not that they were trying to not give you a leg up on life. It's that they themselves were struggling with how to manage money. So how can they possibly teach their child? So I do have a lot of empathy for that situation, but I think we need to take that and say, okay, maybe I didn't learn this and I'm learning this as an adult and it might make me feel like a failure, but I don't, I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And so when you see it as just more of a learning opportunity, I think that it can be a lot easier to jump on board and overcome some of that money trauma whenever you're able to embrace it with empathy and then with a learning mindset. Oh, when I was scrolling your Instagram, which is beyond amazing, by the way, <laughs> I saw you. a reel where you essentially said that you can't hold yourself down or identify with the past, your past poor money choices. And I love this so much because dropping guilt or shame in life in general mm -hmm. is just so critical to our growth. But how do we do this with money, especially when a past financial choice feels like a big loom and doom cloud that's hanging over our heads. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And it's, it's not like a snap your fingers and, and you can see results, right? It takes practice. It takes continual repetition of talking to yourself. And what I've told myself personally, what I tell other people to say is that when this thought enters your mind, a lot of times I 100% believe our thoughts lie to us just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true. So when a thought enters your mind, I'm bad with money because, because I took out student loans, because I have debt, because I've overspent on credit cards, whatever X, Y, and Z, when that thought enters your mind, you have to immediately combat that thought with another thought and say, you know what, this thought does not, no longer serves me. It does not allow, it's no longer allowed to be taking up space in my mind. This, this thought no longer serves me. I'm going to set it aside. And when we can do that over time, over and over and over again, we can train ourselves that, Hey, our thoughts, everything we think is not true. It does not always benefit us, but because money is so emotional as well, you have your thoughts lying to you. You have your emotions involved with money. So it can feel true. Yeah. Yeah. You really, it's like, you do have to detach from that feeling, that thought mm -hmm. or that emotion and just look at the fact of it. Yes, just black exactly. And white. Exactly. And that's so hard because money seeps into our lives every single day. It's emotional. And so it's really hard to just look at the money in black and white. But when you can say, you know what, I'm not bad with money. I'm learning now how to manage my money. And then you can say, okay, how much credit card debt do I have? Let's total it up. And you know, past past me didn't know any better. So another thing, and I actually learned this from my therapist is that when we look back on some of our past experiences and 
we are maybe ashamed or have guilt about them. You almost need to think of it as, okay, well, that was high school, Allison. High school, Allison was growing. (laughs) She was learning. She was, you know, making some mistakes, but learning from them. That can be harder whenever you're looking back at 24 year old, you know, Allison. And so you have to say, okay, well, that was past me. Mm. And that's not current me. And, and the current version of myself, I make different choices. And some of those choices means that I have to deal with the consequences of my, ba- my past choices. And that's okay because that was past Allison and she doesn't define my future. I love that so much of just seeing yourself in those different stages, because Mm -hmm. I think uh, many people, I would even say like the millennial base, the the college, the college, everything was just like (laughs) sold to us. I just remember being in high school and it was like, if you don't go to college, you're not going to succeed. That that was essentially the messaging that was being Mm -hmm. told. But now we know that the, the fact of the matter is you can have a trade job. And, be, right. and make more than a lot of oh, people yes. have gone to, oh, to college. So, so we know that this is a fact. And there's also people who didn't go to college and are making way more than people who did. So I remember like looking back, it's like, oh, God, why did I do those student loans? Mm-hmm. Fact of the matter is I had no idea what I was doing. I was the first one within my immediate family to go to college. Therefore, yeah. my, my parents weren't educated about loans. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the difference between the multiple student yeah. loan options that they are and how that would later affect my life and repayment. It was just I didn't know about it. It also wasn't on the foreground of my attention because mm-hmm. immediately it was going to class. It was, I have exactly. grades. It, it, the money was, it was like, okay, this is how I'm doing it now. And then it almost gets pushed aside. And then we have to deal mm-hmm. with it later. I think a lot of times too, we're, we're told these different financial advices, right? Like whether you're listening to Dave Ramsey or whoever you're getting it from. Mm-hmm. And it may be confusing for people too. Do you have a a framework as to like what to pay off first? Should it be your student loan? Should it be your mortgage? Should it be your high interest credit cards? Is is there a place to really start? Yes. So actually, before I dive into that, um, I wanted to say that, you know, how you felt coming out of college and, and realizing you had all these debt, this debt, and you didn't know what I like to say is you did the best you could with the information you had. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think that's a, that's another thing we can tell ourselves to get past some of this and let go of some of the guilt and shame. That's so um, great. Yes. So in terms of paying off debt, I, there's many different ways. And like you said, it can be overwhelming. You could look, you could literally Google how to pay off debt. And within 10 minutes, you'll see, you know, probably a million, re, a million responses on Google. Yeah. And you're like, Nope, this is too much. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Overwhelm. <laughs> exactly. So for me, what I teach my students to to do what, what I teach to the women that I work with to do is to really create a debt payoff framework that works for them. So that could be the debt snowball method. That's where I listed my balances in order from smallest to largest. And I paid them off. That was because my interest rates were all relatively low. Mm. Now, if you have really high interest credit card debt, you're talking 24% interest rate, 27% interest rate. It's going to be hard to make headway on that. I mean, it's just the math is against you. So it's always better to pay that one off first. However, I have worked with certain people who, you know, I worked with a friend who needed to also make daycare payments. She was pregnant and they didn't have $800 a month. And so I said, let's pay off your highest minimum debt payments per month, but with your lowest balance. Because the goal was to free up that money. The cash flow. Yes, the cash flow every month so that they didn't have to put daycare on a credit card. 
So there's a lot of different ways, like strategy ways to look at it. However, if you're just new and starting out, just either choose one, choose the debt snowball, choose the debt avalanche, which is paying off high interest rates first or paying off lowest balance rates first, and then just stick with it. Stick with the process because it's when we jump back and forth between all these different, uh, you know, processes is that we can't see progress because we're not committed to something. Yes. I think when uh, this past year, I really got focused on budgeting. Mm -hmm. I've always been a budgeter of a sense. I'm a thrifty shopper. I'm very conscious, but it was, I was like, okay, we got to get real about this. (laughs) So it wasn't really until I wrote things down in black and white. It was like, I could see it in an app and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't fact for me. It's like, I can just close that app, but it was something about writing it all out. That was like, Oh, whoa. Do you find writing it out to be more effective? I do. I love, I mean, I love budgeting, so (laughs) I'm a little biased, but to me, writing it out pen and paper allows me to see it. We write out our budget. My husband, I'm paid once a month. He's paid every, uh, or twice a month, every other week. And we literally will write it out and hang it on the fridge. Even our kids are even looking at our budget. Mm. And to me, when I'm able to write it out and that's just who I am by nature, when I physically write something, it just cements more into my brain. I remember it more. So that's the type of learner that I am. And that's what I really try to teach my, my students to do because it's one thing to just let a calculator or an app budget for you. It's another thing to take charge and make the choices and be picking and choosing, okay, where do I want my money to go? I have maybe $500 left over this month. How can I spend that? What are my money goals? And how can I take this $500 and help me reach my money goals? So I think paper and pencil is best. I'm biased, but (laughs) I say if, if budgeting has it worked for you, If you're like, yeah, I've tried, you know, I downloaded the Mint app. Well, Mint, getting the Mint app isn't budgeting. It's just a way to, you know, look at your money differently. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, have I just looked at my money or have I actually written a budget? Because many people just look at their money and they think they're budgeting. They just know their numbers, but that's not budgeting. So I would say try actually budgeting. So what is actually budgeting? If someone's listening today and they're like, okay, well, well, what is it at its core? So will you break down what that actually means? Budgeting to me is whenever you know how much money you make, you know every single expense and you are making choices based off of your current reality. And the reason why I say your current reality is I've done this before. I've made budgets that are just seem perfect but they don't actually match (laughs) my habits. So I would say, okay, I'm going to spend $50 on restaurants this month, but, but really in all actuality, I usually spend about 200. And so it wasn't matching my current reality. My current reality also looks like at the time we're filming this, I have three birthdays to buy for in the month Mm. of September. I need to make sure those are in my budget. We have different extracurricular activities for our kids that we have to pay for. So my current reality is that my September budget's going to look very different 
from my October budget. So it's making those conscious choices with your money to know, okay, what are my money goals? What is my current reality and my needs? And how can I make this all align? And the, and that if something happens, if I'm not able to stick to it, how can I go back to this document and edit it? How can I edit my budget? Because it's a flexible document so that I can continue to stay on track. Oh, I love the flexibility that you brought up because I think so many times when we think of budgeting, it's like, it has to be this way. And if you don't, then here comes the guilt and shame of, oh, I only budgeted $50 for restaurants. I spent 200. I'm a terrible budgeter. I can't do this. (laughs) Like, it's so easy to just fall right back into it. But if you give yourself the grace, know that it's flexible, you're, you're not so likely to fall back into that shame or guilt trap. Yes, absolutely. And what I say is I I have never stuck to a budget 100% because I can't tell the future. I don't know what unexpected expense is going to pop up. I don't know that my son's going to come home with a birthday invite in two weeks and I need to spend $15 on a gift. I don't know these things. So what I do is I write a budget. I, it's almost like a forecast. Think of it as like a weather forecast. You're forecasting your spending, but there's going to be times whenever there's rain and you have to grab an umbrella. So whenever something happens and it's no longer, the forecast is no longer accurate, I create what I call a mini budget. And what I do is I take my current budget and I say, okay, I got off track. That's okay. This happens. I knew it was going to happen. So I have no shame and guilt because this is life. I'm human. Mm. And I write down exactly how much money I have in my checking account at that moment. And I create a mini budget from then until the next day that I'm paid. So I'll create a mini budget four days before payday instead of saying like, oh, we'll just spend whatever we have, however we want. I'll say no. Okay. We have $300 left in, you know, this budget period. How we have four days until payday. How do we need to get gas? How are our cars looking? Do I need to go run to the grocery store and pick anything up? And I make a plan for those last $300 so that I stay on track and I don't have to pull from savings to spend money to cover it. So what if uh, your four days are up and let's say you still have $300, do you then roll that over into your next month's budget? So uh, there are many things that you can do. Actually, when I was paying off debt, anytime there was money left over, I did a little happy dance and I would (laughs) send it to debt. So I would say, okay, well, we're going to put $300 extra to my student loan this month. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that I was like, this is wonderful. That means that we did a great job. Now what I do is I will take that $300 and I will put it to savings or I will put it to our investments. So it's definitely like different seasons of your life different options. And sometimes I'm like, okay, we're going to put this towards our vacation fund. Sometimes I'm saying, okay, we're going to put this into, you know, the stock market and buy index funds. So it just depends, but that's the joy. I think of personal finances is you can ask yourself, what is it that I need right now? What is it that my family needs? Is it that I really haven't saved enough for Christmas? Okay. Let's save this for Christmas. Is it that I know next month I'm going to have to buy, you know, new clothes for my kids? Let's put it there. So that's exactly what I recommend. I think when it comes to debt, we automatically think that we have to give up everything that we love or sacrifice significantly. And Mm -hmm. I think we come to this point, like where you can look at your budget and you're like, all right, I've cut a lot of expenses. Is there a way to just like pay off everything and not really give up everything that brings you joy? Absolutely. So I think that you're right. There's this all or nothing mentality. And I think that there are different financial gurus that make that have almost like made this common. 
Um, and, and that was, we sacrificed, but when I say sacrifice, we still would go visit family in different vacation spots. We would just maybe stay with family members instead of renting, you know, checking out a hotel or getting an Airbnb, we would still go out to eat. It was just maybe a little bit less than we had been before. Mm. So I think that it's important for you to realize that for anyone to realize that we have to choose what our priorities are. If your priority is every Friday, you get a Starbucks drink and that brings you a lot of joy and that's what you want to do, do it, add it to your budget. So I think that so often we think that everything in our life that we're spending money on has equal weight, equal weight emotionally to us. But for me, it doesn't. I know what I'm willing to let go of and what is not as important and doesn't bring me as much joy. So if for some reason I do have to cut back, I know those, those expenses that are going to go first. Yes. That's so important to know. And that's part of budgeting because you Mm -hmm. know, you've seen your numbers and it's already then, and and it all goes back to the flexibility. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love that you're not sitting here telling people that they have to give up their Starbucks drinks or, or things like this, because I think when we are forced to let something go, I remember when I, I bought my first new car, Mm -hmm. um, I was pregnant. No, it was actually my second. I was trading in. I was pregnant with my second daughter and the salesman was like, I mean, the, the payment would have been an extra, I don't know, 200 a month. And I was like, no, like this is not not what I thought. And he was like, oh, well, I'm sure if you just stop getting a cup of coffee every Uh, day and I'm like, what you're, you're automatically assuming that I buy a cup of coffee every mm -hmm. day. Not that I have a Keurig and I'm paying three fifty for the month. Right. Like he was automatically making these assumptions of how I spend my money. And I was like saying they're pregnant and I'm like, really, (laughs) (laughs) really? So I think sometimes we're, we're also told like, you, you have to constrict so much that there's nothing, no joy. Mm-hmm. One of my personal things that I'll share that we started doing is I like, we love going out to eat too, but it's just not always realistic, right? Like mm-hmm. a family going out to eat can go from 50 to a hundred dollars easily in one and, meal. And depending on your kids' ages, it might not be yes. fun. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Preach it. Preach it. I mean, they offer the free kids meals sometimes and you're like, okay, is that really worth it? Is it really worth it? But what we started to do was then we would ourselves like at Outback or Texas Roadhouse, we would one order to go, but Mm -hmm. our entire family would order kids meals instead because brilliant. your steak is one ounce smaller than the adult size, Mm -hmm. but you automatically get a second side with the kids meal and you're getting a drink for free. So you're spending about four to $5 less on your actual meal and you're still getting just as much food. So I'm like, that just took a $50 Outback trip down to about 20, $25. Mm-hmm. So it, then it makes it real. And I'm still getting what I wanted. Right. So it's, it, you're not really having to give it up. It's just reframing it mm-hmm. in a different way. I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, you can't order a kid's meal when you walk into the restaurant, but to go, <laughs> that's it true. Works. That's <laughs> true. So, but yeah, it's just one of those small things that was like, okay, I can, I can do a five ounce steak instead of a seven ounce steak. Right. Like it's exactly not, it's not that big of a deal, especially if I'm getting an extra side or a mm-hmm. loaf of bread with it. It's, it just still allows you to have it without giving everything up. Yes. That's awesome. 
I, you know, I was also shocked you had brought up uh, financial literacy in schools. And I was really mm -hmm. shocked when a former guest had told me that there's virtually no financial literacy taught in schools. And this wasn't just the United States. He was in the UK and it's oh, part wow. of his, his goal. He was like, it's not in the UK. Like a lot of European schools don't have it. This is a worldwide problem. So we know that this is fact that it's not taught. So as parents, how can we teach our kids about money so that they're not 20, 30, 40 something year olds having to relearn and figure it out themselves? Yes. Oh my gosh. You're so right. I, I live in Texas and while there are state standards, you, you know, we spend maybe as a teacher, all you had time for was maybe two days to cover those state standards. And then you just wow. hope it's stuck and it doesn't stick. I mean, you no. know, they, there has repetition. to be this, exactly this repetition and this interaction. And it, it comes down to, there's so many standards and there's so much put on teachers and they say, these standards aren't very important. The financial literacy standards aren't very important is really what they, what they tell teachers. Mm. So I think that having your children, having open conversations with your children, letting them see you writing a budget, letting them see you paying off debt, letting them know what the priorities are, number one. Now, if you're having these drag out fights and arguments and there's all this tension, maybe we don't <laughs> let them see that because then, you know, they are going to start developing their own money stories and their own money trauma from that. Yeah. But being able to invite them into the conversation, it can be as simple as saying, you know, my, my son will say, can we get this for this, this month? Can we buy this thing? And I'll say, oh, that's not in the budget, but maybe we can add it to the budget next month. And he sees the budget on the fridge. Mm. I think also whenever they are old enough that they start earning money that they see, okay, I need to save a portion. Maybe I could give a portion. And how can I have a portion to spend? So allowing them to actually manipulate the money, save it, spend it, give some of it to a charity or a church that they like and they go to allows them to repeatedly experience money in the everyday life in a, in a very non-judgmental way and in a safe place. And then having those conversations when they're teenagers, actually teaching them. And that can be hard because they might not want to listen. And sometimes that's when it's good to maybe buy a program. And, and sometimes we have to take this on ourselves, right? We have to buy the program that they go through that teaches them about financial literacy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because sometimes I know with my kids, it's like you, you tune them out. Like they tune me out all the time. Oh, yeah. Right. Like they're just hearing it's like, womp, 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 womp. Uh -huh, like exactly. It, it, it runs all together with, Hey, mm -hmm. unload the dishwasher. Did you do your homework? Like it just yes. it all goes together. So sometimes hearing it from someone else is a great way for them to learn. And I think that's a brilliant idea of if you need to buy a program for them and have them go mm -hmm. through it. My youngest daughter is only seven. And, um, last, I guess it was last year, maybe the year before, I think it was the year before we started money envelopes for them where they made a goal oh. and, and they were working to put it in. So a lot of like their cash had come, cause I don't really pay for household chores. Like it's, mm -hmm. you're a family unit. So if you're cleaning right. up your room, that's part of your being part of this family, like we're a team, but if you're doing an extra chore, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're helping me clean out the garage or something, then that will have a price tag attached to it. So a lot of their money was, they would ask for, you know, Christmas or birthday or something like mm -hmm. that. But my, so they hit their goals. They each bought iPads, their own iPads. My youngest daughter then came to me and we just did this massive move. 
it was expensive, like so oh. expensive. And um, she came to me with this baby doll that she really wanted. Now me, I was like, that baby doll is creepy looking. Like, <laughs> it's, it's one of those. I was like, are you really sure about it? And she was like, yeah, I'm sure. So I was like, well, I'm, you know, like, I guess that's your next, your next goal. So she mm-hmm. asked how much she needed and it was $40. She immediately, I kid you not, immediately went and texted my mom, <gasps> not, not to ask my mom for money. But to ask her if she needed any help on the farm because she knew she had to put in some sort of work. There had to be an action Mm -hmm. to receive that money. It's not just, hey, grandma, here's the baby doll. Will you buy it for me? It's, hey, you have any work that I can do on the farm? And my mom just thought it was amazing. She was like, Mm -hmm. I I don't, but she just had knee surgery. She's like, but I could really use some help around the house. Mm -hmm. So my daughter went and helped her like clean her house. And she came home. With twenty dollars, I'm like, well, that's more than I would have paid her. But, <laughs> but she came home and she was just like beaming with pride because she earned it. Mm-hmm. She immediately stuck it in her envelope and then was like, how much more do I need? So it was yeah. like it was that conscious choice of knowing this is what I want. How do I get it? And then realizing if there's a will, there is a way. Yes, I love it. See, that's the perfect example. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other? things that you can tell parents, because I think so many times we are quick to go to, I don't have money. We don't mm-hmm. have money for that. That's not important. That can, that can also feed into that negative money mindset. Of course. Is there anything that we can say instead when, when we truly don't have it in our budget? Mm-hmm. I, I like the example you gave of maybe we can budget it in next month. Are there any yes. other ones we uh, go to? Yes. And this is works if you don't have money to give your kids extra chore money. You know, yeah. if they say, okay, well, what can I do around the house? And you're thinking, I don't have any extra money to give you to help out around the right. house. Yeah. I would say something like, no, this isn't in the budget this month. Maybe we can add it to next month. That's definitely one of them. Uh, well, and one of them is no, but you know, you can say, maybe you could ask for that for Christmas. Mm. I'll say things like that. Like maybe you could add this to your Christmas list sometimes, especially for when they were younger. My oldest is now nine and my youngest is seven. I would say, why don't we take a picture of that and add it to a list? And just just taking a picture of it in the, in, in the store for little ones Ooh, yeah, just gives them that, okay, it's saved for later. And most of the time they don't even remember it and they don't care. Yeah. And it just gives them that initial, like, okay, I've thought about this purchase. So I would definitely say that. And I would also say like, you know what this week right now we're working on reaching X. We're working on saving money so we can go to a beach vacation next summer. We're working on saving for it and let them know what you're working on as a family, because Mm. so often it can feel like sometimes even just one spouse has these goals and these dreams that they're working toward. They feel like no one else is on board and they give up because they're thinking, what's the point I'm doing this alone. So when you can get the entire family on board with the goals and the dreams, then you can say, okay, look, I, and I've told my son, you know what? I we can't buy that this month. We're really trying to save extra money because we're going to be going to Disney next year. So, so that's, that's what we're doing right now. And that, that has worked and it teaches them. Okay. I can't have everything I want right now. Sometimes I have to say no or figure out a way, you know, put it off for a little bit. 
Sometimes it's not no, sometimes it's just not yet. Mm, Yes. And I love that taking a picture of it too, because not only may or they may not forget about it, but it could be cool if you're saving all these pictures, like in an iCloud folder Mm -hmm. around Christmas time to say, okay, so which 10 of these do you really want? And then it helps them like, well, I don't really want that anymore because if they're telling you something in July, it may not even be of interest to them come December. Exactly. I love that so much. How often should we be working on our finances realistically? So realistically, I would say at least once a week, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming once a week. What I've noticed, and this happened to me, and it might've happened to you too, is the first time you sit down to work on your money, you might be working on it for two hours. And you're thinking, this is way too much work. This is very time consuming. I'm not doing this every single week. Are you crazy? But There's just that initial startup in terms of time, figuring out a system to help you track your spending, learning how to write a budget, going back and editing that budget because you realized you forgot something and that's okay. So that initial time startup might be longer, but for me personally, I spend about 30 minutes once a week really working on my finances. And that looks like updating my spending on the way, the way I track my spending is through Quicken. I update my spending. Sometimes I'll do that every other day. I look at our spending and I say, okay, are we on track? We have this many days until payday. Here's what we have left coming out of our account. These are the bills that are being withdrawn. Do we have enough to last us? If not, what do I need to change? Here's how, you know, here's how often we're going to be going out to eat. And the same time that I'm working on my budget or my finances, I also kind of handle some family business. I do things like make the meal plan. I determine, okay, well, what nights are we going to go out to eat this week? And then, you know, I tell my husband, okay, you're, can you cook dinner on Wednesday night? And I'll take care of the rest of the nights. And I kind of talk about those things. And I also discuss, especially with my husband, different extracurricular activities. We have piano lessons here. And I look at our week as a, a, as a whole. And then I also look at our finances as a whole, all at the same time. That way I have a really good picture of what I like to call the business side of my life, the business side of my personal life, the calendar, the meals, and the the money. Yes. I love that. And because 30 minutes doesn't, it, that's easy. Like mm-hmm. that's a meal. That's, that's a yeah. meal time. So I think if, and I like how you can do it every day, every other day, whatever works best for you. Yes. I feel like I like your method of like every other day <laughs> and treating it as part of like the family business. I hadn't thought of it Mm-hmm. in that mindset before, but yeah, it really and is. It is. And my husband and I started doing this about three or four years ago. We actually do it every Sunday night. We call it our family. We call it our baggerly business meeting. So our family uh, business it. meeting, it's every Sunday evening after we cook dinner, you know, we have an early dinner, we clean the kitchen and we have our business meeting and we just sit down together and we just lay out, okay, what are the activities we have going on? Are you working late this night? You know, which nights are you working late? Which nights are we going to go out to eat? And we have this plan in place. And the reason why we talk about the money and the business side of our life is so that the rest of the week, we don't have to talk about any of that. We don't have to talk about, you know, oh my gosh, you said you were going to be home by this time. So I could go run this errand. It's already been discussed. Mm -hmm. We don't need to talk about it anymore. So whenever my husband gets home from work, we can just talk about whatever we want to talk about. It doesn't have to be related to the business side of life. 
Wow. I love that. What a great, and plus that's such great for family bonding in general Mm -hmm. to just have that time together, open up the communication. I think so much in the digital world and just busy life that we live, it can just be really easy to put that to a side or not include your kids. So I love that you guys are doing that. And Allison, I know you have so much more to share. (sighs) Will you tell our audience where they can go to connect with you further? Of course. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, then you can search for my podcast, the inspired budget podcast, anywhere where you're listening to this, you can also follow me on Instagram at inspired budget or go to inspiredbudget.com. I have tons of free printables, free classes there for anyone who wants to learn how to take back control of their money. Oh, I love this. Allison, you are full of wisdom and amazing tips. Thank you not only for joining me today, but for encouraging and teaching us how to take control of our financial freedom. Oh, thank you for having me. Allison hit us with so many great tips to help us live a life full of financial freedom. I've linked Allison's website and social channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, share with a friend. You know, I also love and appreciate your five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'm back on Friday with another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember... Every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.